want to welcome our guests and our visitors. We're thankful that you're here and uh, pray that God will refresh you this day. Uh, just a couple of uh, announcements to take note of. Um, VBS starts tomorrow. Please be in prayer for that throughout the week. And um, if you're able, after the evening service, um, to stick around and, and help us prepare for that, we would appreciate it. Um, yeah, there's a number of, of timely announcements in the announcement bulletin. I'd encourage you to take a look at those um, later on regarding things that are um, timely. Um, but, uh, but the most important is that we have the opportunity to, to uh, worship today. So that we might do that in a manner that is pleasing to God and refreshing to us. Let's begin our time together with a moment of silent prayer. Father, we thank you for drawing us together this day. We pray that you would ensure that all that is done here in our midst might be done unto your honor and glory and according to your good commands. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Beloved, the Lord calls us to worship with these words from Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. The Lord is indeed the one who gathers us, and so congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's sing praise together to the Lord from number 27 in your Psalter hymnal, number 27.
In Deuteronomy 5, Moses spoke to the children of Israel as they were preparing to enter into the land. Having summoned them, he said, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that law is given to those who were called out of their slavery, delivered from that which would have destroyed them. And that's representative of us who were delivered from our slavery to sin and death and Satan. It's a call to live a life of gratitude, a life of response, a life of reflecting the image of God. And yet even as it calls us to that gratitude, it reminds us that We don't stand before God on our merits. We did not deliver ourselves from slavery. And that's evident from the fact that we continue to break those commands. We continue to fail to uphold God's holy standard. So we come before God not proudly, as though we had accomplished something. But we come before Him humbly. Acknowledging that our hope and our help and our life are in Christ. So we do that by confessing together 
a portion of Psalm 51, which we find in selection 95 in our Psalter hymnal. Number 95 will sing all four stanzas as our confession of, of faith in the Lord. trust in Christ, the Lord reminds us in Colossians 1 of who He is and how effective His work. For He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might, have, might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's what he came to do. The one who made all things, who rules all things, came and subjected himself to God's wrath that he might restore us. We who deserved God's wrath, we who deserved his judgment. He took it so that we might be reconciled. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He has already now reconciled us, if only we have trusted in him. What a blessing and what a joy. In response, how can we do otherwise than to fall before him and to confess our gratitude? And so we do so now in in our prayer. As we do so, uh, just a couple reminders. In addition to our members who have long-term needs, uh, please be in prayer this week for Vacation Bible School and for the children who will be uh, taught and discipled in that time. Pray for TASC. Uh, I believe four of our young people, along with two uh, adult sponsors, will be attending starting Saturday and going through the next Saturday. That's at Faith URC in West Olive. Um, and uh, pray for our nation. Next week um, is the Walk for Life, which is wonderful, which is glorious, um, but also a reminder that we need to have a Walk for Life, that we continue to willfully murder children in the womb. That's horrific. And as if that weren't enough to convince us of the need of our land for the gospel, uh, seems like on every street corner they're celebrating pride. Celebrating pride, the root of sin. Celebrating depravity and that which uh, God despises, which is evident, evidence of the need in our culture, the desperate need. For the gospel. So with that, let's come before the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this day overwhelmed with gratitude. Because every time we hear your law, we're reminded that that though we have been given so very much, Though you made us and knit us together in the womb. Though you have provided for us every single day all that we need for body and soul. Though you sent your son to die for us. Yet we still live in the midst of our sin. We still turn back with utter folly. To the sins and the depravity which once held us captive. Father, forgive us 
and teach us daily to put our hope in Christ, to put our confidence in your spirit and to live a life of gratitude, embracing that law, putting off that sin, showing the world that we belong to you. Father, we bring before you each of the members of this congregation. And we pray that you would work faith in their hearts and sanctification in their lives. We pray for our senior saints as they have walked with you many years. Grant that they might end strong. That they might demonstrate the joy of your salvation each and every day. And delight to proclaim your goodness and your grace to their neighbors, to their friends, to their children and their grandchildren. That at the day that you have appointed, they might walk with celebration and with gratitude into your presence. We pray for our husbands and wives as they deal with the busyness and the chaotic nature of family life, grant that they might not be overwhelmed, but that they might encourage one another, husbands and wives, the husbands selflessly leading their wives in a manner that shows the world the love of Christ in all of its selflessness, and the wives submitting themselves joyfully to their husbands, demonstrating the grateful confidence of the church toward Christ. Teach them to work together in building one another up, in nurturing their children, in encouraging one another in the discipleship to which we are called. We pray that you would bless too our single adults, that you would encourage them in their walk, that you would enable them to use their resources in serving you wholeheartedly, that you would make them to be joyful and content in the calling that you have given them, reminding them day by day that you are the one in whom is all their hope and all their strength and whom they are called to serve. Father, we pray for our young adults and our young people. They are surrounded every day by the snares and the traps of the evil one who seeks to lead them astray, who seeks to nullify their power. Lord, we pray that you would make them to be passionate for you, that you would cause them to grow in their ability to use their gifts, that you would enable them to see that though they are young, yet in the Spirit they are powerful, and that they have a glorious calling to confess you before a watching world. Lord, we pray for our children those who are very young and those who are becoming young adults. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them from the evil one, that you would nurture them in the faith, that you would make them to be joyful, to know you and to serve you with all their hearts. Lord, we pray for our members who are wrestling with doubts and fears and depression and sorrow that you would lift them up, that you would give them the joy of your salvation. Where they have strayed, Lord, draw them back. Where they have stumbled, Lord, make them strong. We pray for 
those who have drifted off into sin, that you would lead them in the path of repentance. We think especially of of a member under discipline. We pray that you would draw that member back, but not alone. Lord, we think of others who have also been not walking the narrow path that you have set before us. Lord, we pray that you would draw them. And Lord, we ask for those whom you've set before us, whether in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods. We pray that you would give us eyes to see those whose hearts you have been working in, that you would give us courage to confess where hope is found and selflessness that we might show them the love of Christ. Lord, we pray for our members who have been wrestling with various ailments of the body. We pray for those uh, dealing with cancer and its treatments. We think of Bruce and Dan and Joel and Jamie and Bob. We pray that you would bless each of them in their fight against cancer. We pray that you would remind them, Lord, that even, even this struggle is meant to strengthen our hearts, our confidence in you. Likewise, for those dealing with other physical ailments, for Larry and for Linda, for Keith and Lori and, and others. Lord, you know the, the members who are dealing with the weakness of the body. We pray that you would strengthen their hearts in the midst of it and that you would use the church to build them up and encourage them. We pray for our recent graduates, that you would encourage and strengthen them as they move on to the next thing. We pray for those who are um, dealing with, with hidden struggles that most of us don't know of. Lord, we pray that you would bless them and provide for them according to their needs. And Lord, watch over our church as we prepare to welcome children from throughout the area, our own children, but also those of our neighbors and our community members. We pray that you would bless Vacation Bible School, that through it, your word might be faithfully proclaimed to these children, and they might be encouraged to recognize the spiritual dimension of the life they live, their desperate need for Christ, and the confidence that they can have in Christ and in all the gifts and provisions that you grant to your people. Likewise, we pray, Father, for uh, those who are attending task, both from our church and from other churches. We pray that you would use that event to bless those who participate with a stronger faith and a desire to walk before you, as well as those who receive help, that they might see in that help your love and your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and bless your church here at Grace and in every place where it gathers this day. That we might minister faithfully before you, before the eyes of a watching world. Lord, we see our nation and its multitude of needs. We see how they celebrate rebellion against you. How lightheartedly they mock your law and rejoice in a flaunting of your very creation order 
And we grieve for them. We grieve for the hardness of heart that is evident in so many. And for the ignorance that has been cultivated in multitudes by the media, by the government schools, by wicked leaders in our land. We pray that you would have mercy upon them. Likewise, for those who advance the cause of killing children in the womb, the place where they should be nurtured and protected, becoming their, their killing grounds. Lord, we pray that you would soften the hearts of many, that they might see and grieve the ugliness of their sin and their rebellion, that they might fear the coming judgment if they stand before you on their own. And Lord, we pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear your people, the confidence that we have, the joy that we've been given, the very different worldview you've taught us to embrace. Enable us to speak confidently and humbly to them of the hope that is found in the gospel. And Father, to that end, we pray that you would strengthen us to proclaim, to fight the good fight through the word that is proclaimed this day. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look together to God's word, um, let's stand and sing. We're going to sing number 294 in our Psalter hymnal. This is a rendering of Psalm 143. As we sing 294, we'll sing the first two stanzas, then five and six.
this morning, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. We're going to look together at verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians 6, which is really the heart of the text we're going to be using for VBS this week. Um, But I'd like to read with you a bit ahead of that first. Um, We're not going to read that whole section, but starting in verse 15 of chapter 5 through verse 21, kind of gives us the context for um, what we read in our text. So starting at verse 15 of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then after that come three sections that show us how we are to submit to one another, how the various relations in our lives involve submission. And then in chapter 6, verse 10, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation." And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my mouth, or that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved servants of Christ our King, this week the church building will be chaotic and wonderful because this week a group of children, we have no idea how many yet, will enter these walls each morning to enjoy games and crafts and lessons from God's Word. And as I said, the theme of those lessons will come from this text in Ephesians 6, a text which gives guidance that is essential to a Christian life that is surrounded by conflict. 
And so it seemed wise that before we bring that lesson or those lessons to children from our church and from our community, it seemed wise that we pause and ponder it ourselves. The lessons of this text are about conflict. They're about warfare. Hence the psalms that we've sung, acknowledging the warfare that God's people face and our reliance upon Him in the midst of it. The Apostle Paul concluded this letter to the church in Ephesus, calling them to prepare for conflict, to prepare for war. Because he knew his ministry had been absolutely filled with conflict. He was opposed by the Jews who felt that he was infected by paganism. He was opposed by the Gentiles who hated the Jewish religion. He saw the church racked with sin and temptation of every sort. He saw people who seemed to be responding to the gospel suddenly go astray to lies spread by the evil one. He himself was beset by afflictions of some sort that he equated with a a painful thorn in the flesh. Paul knew what spiritual warfare was like, and yet he expected that warfare because he understood that everything he was seeking to do was in exact opposition to what Satan was seeking to do. Every soul that Paul sought to win, Satan was seeking to destroy with eternal death. And Satan does not take opposition to his goals lightly. He opposes the people of God. He opposes the kingdom of God relentlessly, wickedly, subtly, but also violently. The devil is a significant adversary who has no mercy. But our side stands and will stand strong because we do not stand on our own. And that's the lesson of this text. We boil it all down. We see that the lesson here is that God's servants stand strong only in the strength of the Lord. And so we're going to consider that for a few moments this morning. Providentially, just before we are strengthened by that sacrament which reminds us that our strength comes as we are united to Christ. As we are joined to His broken body and poured out blood. God's servants stand strong only in the strength of the Lord. But if we're to see that, we have to see first of all why we need that strength. How we are opposed. And that's something we see as we consider the theme of how, or the the point of how we are attacked by the devil's scheming soldiers. However, the first mention of our enemy doesn't explicitly mention our enemy. Instead, we perceive him in the warning of verse 10 that calls us to prepare. That's often the way in life. We get the first glimpse of the threat that is looming, not in an explicit warning of the threat, but in a call to prepare. The first warning we get of a drought is an admonition to not openly burn. The first warning we get of a catastrophic flood is the warning we get that we should prepare for storms. At the start of our text, 
we're instructed to be strong. Now that command doesn't come in a vacuum. It follows extensive instruction by Paul concerning our calling to preserve the unity of the church. Our calling to embrace a new life, rejecting the futility and the emptiness of our sinful ways. Our calling to communicate in a way that cultivates reconciliation and peace. Our calling to cast off the ways of darkness that fill this world. Our calling to cultivate a a lifestyle where all of our relationships reflect the order of God. Our marriages, our families... Our work. Now each of these callings is difficult for us. It requires turning away from what comes natural to the sinful heart. It requires rejecting the selfishness that comes so easily. To embrace those callings requires a strength beyond us. But we need to be strong. We need to be strong not just because it's hard. We need to be strong because... All of this, if we're doing this, you see, Ephesians, Ephesians starts out by telling us who we are, by telling us that we are the beloved children of God, we are those saved in Christ because of what He has done, not what we've done. But then it says, because of what He has done, now you must live this way. And if we embrace that kind of lifestyle... A unifying lifestyle, a putting off sin lifestyle, a living in a way to reflect God lifestyle. Satan will absolutely hate us because that's the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. That's the way that glorifies God. That's the way that calls other people into the kingdom. Satan absolutely despises that and he will do everything he can to stop it. And so we need to be strong, not only because it's hard sometimes to live that kind of life, that gratitude life, but because Satan will do all he can to stop us. Now verses 11 through 13 describe our enemies. They do so in a form that's called chiasm. means that uh, the first and the last correspond to each other and they move in toward the center. Here, the main enemy, the main adversary is described first and last and then the way that he manifests himself, the helpers that he gathers to himself is described in the middle. Our main enemy, described in verses 11 and 13, is the devil. Not an insignificant name, diabolos, the Greek word, and it means one who slanders. Satan, he doesn't just call us names, he slanders us. In other words, we who are called by God, his sons and daughters, we who are called by God, the saints, the holy ones, Satan slanders by recalling all the sins you've committed, all the failures you've embraced. All the times you've heard God's law and done the opposite. All the times you've seen the opportunity to serve and refused. He slanders us by trying to convince us, you can't, you're not worthy, you're not righteous, you must be deceived. He is the master of schemes, you see. He doesn't just hang around hoping we'll mess up. The devil is crafty. He carefully plans our downfall. Jesus warned us repeatedly 
that Satan would use false signs and wonders, that Satan would use all manner of lies to seek to lead us astray or at the very least to make us ineffective. And the thing is, he's, he's got experience. He knows exactly how to push our buttons and unless we have help and strength that is beyond us, we will fall prey. Verse 13 connects the devil with the evil day. Now the day of the Lord is a day of goodness. A day when wickedness will be judged, when the world will be renewed, when the people of God will be fully perfected. But the evil day, well that's the day when the adversary attacks the saints. And it's not just one day. It's it's every day when depravity and degenerate behavior is celebrated. It's every day when blasphemy against the Lord and all that is holy is celebrated. You'll find the evil day celebrated. In Grand Rapids next Saturday, when multitudes march in favor of depravity. You'll find that evil day promoted by all who love the world in its rebellion. The devil is a desperate and relentless enemy who loves to lead people astray from the truth, who loves to celebrate and to cause people to celebrate sin. He is relentless in seeking to devour the weak and so we dare not confront him in our strength. Verse 12 assures us that the enemy, he's not like us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The devil and his adversary, his allies, are not the kind of adversaries we're accustomed to opposing. They won't be intimidated by your weaponry, they won't be overcome by your fighting skill. These enemies are different. You can't see them with your eyes. You can't touch them with your hands. The way we fight men is utterly insufficient for the devil and his diabolical forces. He describes them as rulers. Beings whom men obey and willingly follow. He describes them as authorities. Those who posture themselves as the ones whom you must obey. Meeting out consequences for those who refuse. Now on the whole, we're comfortable with that description. Rulers, authorities. We can picture that kind of opponent. We'll mount a campaign against them. We'll vote them out of office. But hold on. These are not the flesh and blood rulers and authorities we're accustomed to facing. We must never lull ourselves into thinking that our true enemy is so common. The enemy that has led astray so many of our countrymen, the ones whom we truly must oppose, is not the Democratic National Convention or Story Hour, or what is it, Drag Queen Story Hour? or the Communist Party USA, or CNN, and MSNBC, or the National Education Association. Those aren't our true enemies. Oh, they spread lies. 
They're useful idiots in service of the enemy, but they're not the enemy. The brains of the enemy are the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The brawn of the enemy are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are not enemies that we can see with the eyes or touch with the hands. They're the ones that manipulate and guide and empower the ones that we can see with the eyes and touch with the hands. And so we cannot face them by our strength. We cannot oppose them by our physical weaponry. And if we try, we will merely lull ourselves into thinking we're succeeding while in fact we're doing nothing but making ourselves useless. And his attacks, the devil's attacks, are relentless. We can't see his servants coming. We can't grasp their thoughts, so we can't outwit them properly. We, we fight them by our strength, and we're embracing utter folly. But praise God, we are not left to fight by our strength. The enemy is fierce, but greater is he who is in us and with us than he who opposes us. Because as our text shows us, and this is the focus of the text, we are equipped with the Savior's empowering armor. Twice, in verses 11 and 13, we are strongly commanded to take up and to put on the whole armor of God. What is that? The Greek word there, panoplia, means all weaponry. In other words, it's not just something to defend us from attack. It's everything. Think of our VBS is going to be kind of medieval themed. Think of a knight going out to battle. His weaponry did not consist merely of a shield, did it? No, he also had armor. He had a helmet. He had every piece of his defensive armor was carefully thought out and designed to withstand the enemy's blows. But he also had offensive weapons, didn't he? Because he didn't want to just endure. He wanted to fight. He wanted to advance. He wanted to defeat the enemy. And that's what God is telling us to take up. All of that which we need to stand and to persevere. Now, like our enemy... This armor is not something we can see, but neither is it a burden to bear it at all times. A handgun would get heavy if you tried to carry it all the time. A shield would be way too cumbersome. But the armor that he gives us is something that we can have when we rise up from our bed and when we go about our business through the day and also when we return to our rest at night. We find that armor described in verses 14 through 17. This coming week, children ages 3 through 11 will study carefully this armor, learning about the belt of truth which ties together all that which is important, the breastplate of righteousness which defends us from the enemy's slings and arrows with the imputed righteousness of Christ, the shoes of the gospel of peace which allow us to stand on a, a truth that is unshaking and unshakable. The shield of faith which protects us from the attacks of the one who slanders. The helmet of salvation which preserves our minds from his lies. 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, a weapon beyond compare. This is the full armor that God equips us with. And the best part, the most comforting part of all that gear is that is the armor of God. He has designed and appointed each and every piece. He has infused it all with His power. And He uses every bit of it both to defend and to advance the cause of His people. It is by this armor alone that we can endure. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. On our own, we assuredly will fall, overcome by the craftiness of the evil one. See, he mixes just enough truth with his lies to make his deception plausible. He makes strong arguments that good results can come from evil actions. He makes rebellion seem like the most attractive attainment. He even quotes scripture falsely, but he quotes scripture to lull us into a sense of compliance. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that you can stand unclothed with this armor. Every human effort will fall short. Your best intentions will prove to be weak. Your insights and your intelligence will prove to be folly. If you seclude yourself from the world, he will find you out in the wilderness. And if you try to hide among men, he will ferret you out by their instrumentation. Even if you convince yourself, utter folly, that the devil and his dark forces don't exist. He will use your intentional ignorance to undermine you. God alone can protect and empower us, and He does through the armor that He provides. We read in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Thus, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 reminds us that God Himself is the one who provides the way of escape. And Isaiah 66 tells us that all of those enemies who today attack us, one day soon we will rejoice to see their utter and eternal defeat. But we must be clothed with the armor of God. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Apart from God's armor, we can't. But with that armor, we will. And make no mistake, the day of the attack is coming soon. In fact, it's already here. Just at the moment you let your guard down, that's when he attacks. Just at the moment you think you're standing strong. That's when he redoubles his efforts. He won't attack in the way that you expect him to attack. You think, well, I've got that sin licked. That's where he's going to hit you. You think, that would never lead me astray. You just watch. We need to always be vigilant, always standing firm, and always looking to the one who has given us his armor. And yet if we're wearing that armor... If we're wearing that armor, we will be able not only to stand, but to have done all. Look at verse 13. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You see, as Christians, we are to be productive. 
Our salvation is entirely dependent on what Jesus has done. His perfect life lived on our behalf. His perfect death to pay for our sin. His absolute victory in rising up over the dead. And yet having received Jesus' merits by faith, now we are called to respond. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. He tells us that we're called to bear fruit, that we might honor the Father. John 15. He calls us to make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28. And yet as we strive to do those things, assuredly we will be attacked. Satan will pummel us. His rulers and authorities will undermine us. Those dark forces of evil, they will come at us from every side. We can accomplish our calling and stand only if it is his strength that is working within us. And so we, by the power of the Spirit, we must act to that end. We must put on that whole armor of God. We must take up that armor and use it. How do we do that? Well, our kids are going to talk about that Monday through Thursday this week. But the short answer, brothers and sisters, the short answer is that we keep our eyes on the King. We fill our hearts with His Word. And we engage in the battle. Moses spoke to God's people and he said that the priests when the people were about to go into battle the priests were to strengthen them by reminding them hear O Israel today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies let not your heart faint do not fear or panic or be in dread of them for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory notice they're going into battle they're active they're going but They won't win the victory. God will. He'll use them. There'll be instruments in His hand, but He will fight. He will win. They are to look to Him, and folks, so are we. Notice how our text starts, because that's where we need to end. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in your good theology. That's important, but that won't win the battle. Not in your diligence. Also important, but not the key. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We are strongest when we are on our knees. We are strongest when we are looking to the Lord in prayer, in Scripture, in communion with the saints. Trusting in Him to fight the battle, in Him to bring the victory, and He will. Because as Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 verse 20, He is the one able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has taken us who were enemies and made us His beloved children, victorious over all our sins. If He has done that for us, Will he now fail us in the midst of the battle? Absolutely not. So look to him. Trust in him. In doing so, take up the whole armor of God and fight against the enemy without hesitation. And through us, together, 
God will receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need what you alone can give. Left to our devices, we most assuredly will fall. But you have promised to give us the armor that is spiritual in nature, that will enable us to stand against Satan's schemes, and that will bring us fully into the victory that Christ has already attained. Cause us, Lord, to look wholeheartedly and completely unto you. Cause us to stand firm against Satan's schemes and to recognize that though we are weak, you are strong. And Lord, we pray that you would bring that message home to those children who will gather here this week, that they might recognize the importance of knowing you, of trusting in your Son, of exercising the power the Holy Spirit gives, and of standing strong in the battle. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, we're going to um, sing a song. The words will be unfamiliar, but the tune should be quite familiar to you. We find it in selection 540 in our Trinity Psalter hymnal. 540, we'll sing all the stanzas of Soldiers of Christ Arise.
We prepare now to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As we do so, we're going to read our, our uh, form for the celebration of the Supper found on page 45 and following in our Forms and Prayers book. Beloved, hear now the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Holy Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When our Lord said, Do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this holy supper as a constant memorial and visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take upon himself our flesh and blood and to bear the wrath of God on the cross for us. We confess that he came to earth to bring us to heaven, that he was condemned to die that we might be pardoned, that he endured the suffering and death of the cross that we might live through him, and that he was once forsaken by God that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness, sealing to our hearts the promises of his gracious covenant and assuring us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children for the sake of his Son. Our Lord also promises that as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are fed with his crucified body and shed blood. To do this, he gives us his life-giving spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life-giving nourishment of our souls. Thus, he unites us with himself, and so imparts the precious benefits of his sacrifice to all who partake in faith. As a means of grace, this meal also unites us with one another in the bond of the Spirit, As the Apostle says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. And finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. Since he commanded us to do this until he comes, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself. As we commune with him now under the veil of these earthly elements, we we are assured that we shall behold him face to face and rejoice in the glory of his appearing. Our Lord Jesus will surely do what he has promised. Let us draw near to his table then, believing that he will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of his coming. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, with one accord we give you thanks for all the blessings of your grace. But most of all, we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We most humbly thank you that your Son came to us in human form, 
that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he arose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gospel of reconciliation, for the church universal, for the ministry and the sacraments of the church, and for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We pray, gracious Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table, filling our hearts with humble gratitude for your mercies. Unite us more fully with our blessed Lord, and so also with one another. Enable us in newness of life to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children. And lift up our hearts to you, that in all the troubles and sorrows of this life, we may persevere in the living hope of the coming of our Savior in glory. Answer us, O God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we draw near to the table of our Lord, let us, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, confess together our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
Take, drink, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. If you have your forms and prayers books open to page 48... Please join me in responding to the sacrament. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity, who redeems your life from the pit. Who satisfies you with good. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you our most humble and hearty thanks that you of your great mercy have given to us your Son to be our Savior from sin and our constant source of faith, hope, and love. We bless you for permitting us to show forth his death and to receive the communion of his body and blood through the Holy Sacrament. We praise you for uniting us more fully with the body of Christ and for assuring us that we are heirs of your heavenly kingdom. Grant that our commemoration of his death may tend to the daily confirming of our faith, the establishment of our hope, and the strengthening of our love. Enable us henceforth to live always for our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Amen. If our deacons would come forward. Let us pray. Father, we give you now our tithes and our offerings as a token of our gratitude for all that you have done, most especially your provision of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to reconcile us into your favor. We pray that you would receive all the gifts that we bring as a token of our thanks, and we ask that you would cause them to be used in a way that brings honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our offering song this morning is from our Trinity Psalter hymnal number 543, Fight the Good Fight, 543.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.